Hello and welcome to Tech Crack, the podcast series brought to you by Sync NI. We are Northern Ireland's leading technology and business media company, and this podcast series will see us interview some of the best, brightest, and most influential thought leaders from across NI's business and tech sectors. Find out more on SyncNI.com or follow us across our social media channels. And enjoy. PwC recently produced a report which found that two-thirds of people within Northern Ireland will continue to use virtual GP services even in a post-pandemic world. I spoke with David Armstrong, Public Sector Lead for PwC NI and Luke Solon, the author of the report and a former NHS doctor. We discussed the report's entire findings and also how COVID-19 has accelerated the digital transformation of the healthcare industry, but also what more can be done in terms of digitising the NHS. Would you like yep. to introduce yourself and just tell the listeners about your role at PwC for those that don't know? No problem. Uh, so David Armstrong, I'm a partner in PwC, based in Belfast, but normally pre-COVID was working three days a week in, in the team in London. Most of my clients are government and public sector bodies based in England. And, you know, I focus quite a lot on education, health, international development, things like that. Yeah. And then the same question directed at yourself, Luke. Oh, so hi, my name is Luke Solon. I am a director at PwC uh, and I work out of our London office. I'm a member of our strategy and uh, practice and I focus on clients um, across the healthcare and life sciences uh, industries. My first career was as a doctor in the NHS, so I have frontline uh, clinical experience and I'm one of the lead authors on one of our recent uh, publications, Tech Powered Healthcare. Um, because I've got a personal uh, interest in um, healthcare technology, I guess. Yeah, and sort of Luke, what I kind of asked you before, what interested you in the technology side of, because health tech's obviously picked up quite a lot and it's been accelerated more so because of the COVID pandemic, but what really interested you in the technology side of medicine? Absolutely. I think there are two big things. I think there's like a, a macro and a micro picture here. So on a, on a sort of more micro level, some of the science and the technology is just fascinating, right? So some of the, the innovation and technology um, that through either the use of AI or machine learning or some of the other technology platforms, I don't know if you saw recently that Google has, um, Google DeepMind has done some extraordinary work in protein um, sequencing, sequencing, protein folding. Um, so the, the sort of scientific technological side of it fascinates me. But I guess on the macro level, what really appeals to me is the untapped potential that technology offers um, the NHS in particular, but all health services, right? So in terms of improving outcomes for patients, access to healthcare, uh, and perhaps also um, uh, sort of the discontinuation or, or stopping doing um, interventions or treatments that aren't doing any any good for patients. So the overall impact, I think, is it, the potential is absolutely huge. And that's what appeals to me. Yeah. And then coming from sort of PwC side of that, uh, David, I'll ask you, you know, we were saying that sometimes there's a stereotype or a stereotypical view that people in PwC or PwC is just sort of an accountancy firm. But what other professional services, you know, within the public sector, like what sort of projects would you be working on within the firm? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not an accountant, but you're right, Neve, that a lot of people think of PwC as just a firm of accountants or uh, even more strongly than that, a firm of auditors, we're called sometimes. But actually, there's, there's, it's quite a broad church in PwC and people like Luke and myself are 
pretty busy with government and public sector bodies, basically helping them to transform their business and deliver outcomes that they're responsible for. So, I mean, that's sort of what I do on a day-to-day basis now. And I'm, I'm, I'm dead interested in the healthcare technology thing from that point of view, also from a personal point of view, Neve, because just before lockdown, it was actually on the 20th of, uh, 20th of March, I had pretty major surgery. And I had uh, I had surgery and then we all locked down. So I had to do all the post-operation sort of consultations uh, remotely. And that was my sort of first real introduction to sort of remote stuff in the health sector. And, you know, it was an interesting journey, I think, for myself and for the people dealing with me. Yeah, and then just talking about that report that, that you wrote, like uh, sort of what you're referencing there, David, you know, the main, the main point from the report is that almost two thirds of patients in Northern Ireland who have been using the virtual GP consultations during the COVID pandemic, you know, they've said they would continue to do so even after the risk of, of coronavirus sort of diminishes. What do you think, Luke, are the benefits then of that? You know, do you think anything like this would have happened in terms of virtual GP appointments without the pandemic? I'd like to think it would have done. I think what COVID did was was massively accelerate it because um, what, what happened when COVID struck, and I think when we, when we first sort of started to realise in March, April time that it wasn't going to be a six weeks um, uh, flash in the pan, it was going to be a, a long, a longer term problem. Um, a lot of the sort of barriers within the within the sort of the NHS fell away and allowed very rapid adoption of some of these these technologies right so necessity is the mother of invention or whatever the set however the saying goes uh, and so we saw a massive uptake in, in um digital the use of digital channels for doctors and other health parts of the health economy to speak to patients so i think it was happening already there were some interesting um, areas uh, of it but the pandemic certainly accelerated it and, and also i think has really brought it brought the value of having that option into focus. I don't believe, by the way, that the sort of face-to-face consultation is never coming back. In fact, I expect we'll see, as as life returns to normal, I expect face-to-face consultations will start growing again um, and we'll see less um, than we are right now. But I do think that that sort of virtual consultation is, is very much here to stay now. Yeah, even on that, there was a report yesterday uh, came out by Axblio that revealed that one in three companies across the island of Ireland will actually cease to exist by 2025 if they don't sort of adopt that digital transformation. Um, David, I'll ask you first, like, what are your thoughts on this, like, with that sort of particular focus on healthcare and the public sector? Well, I mean, I agree with, with Luke, Neve, that the COVID has forced everybody's hand on this. You know, it's either sink or swim, and we either do it differently across health or education or whatever bit of public services we're working in or we don't do it at all you know i mean just one personal example for 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 me last week i ran a sort of global pwc international development conference and i've been doing it for the last five years it's a big annual event and we normally do it in our london office and we'll look at things like skills and health and education and, and developing countries mainly and like we normally do that as a physical event in London with three or 400 people in our office and it's all good and I know how to do that and it's all great. And this year we couldn't do it, obviously, so we had to do it remotely. And we'd talked in previous years about getting more of a sort of digital component to it and all, but we'd never really done it. But this year we had no choice. 
we either did not have a conference or we had a remote conference. And actually, whilst it wasn't perfect, it worked really well, you know, and we ended up getting like more people from outside the UK being part of it than we would have got otherwise. So I think that phrase that Luke used about necessity and all, that's all correct, that we've just had to do it now and we've had no choice. Yeah, but in terms of that too, you know, there's a lot of upskilling. We've been forced to do it, but there's a lot of upskilling that sort of goes with training medics and patients to use that technology. You know, where where does PwC come in there? Because I know you guys like sort of support those like transformational changes within organizations. You know, is that difficult to do or is it is it becoming easier because of the pandemic now, do you think? Well, I think, you know, like even if you look at the the role of accountants in society and in business, you know, that's all changing. And what accountants do now is completely different to what they were required to do like 10 or 20 years ago. And certainly in PwC, we've been investing like proper money in upskilling our own workforce, not because we're, you know, particularly keen on technology per se, but rather because we know if we don't invest in uh, sort of digital awareness or whatever the right language for it is amongst our people, we're going to get left behind in the market. You know, so so we're doing it again out of necessity because of the way the way the way the world is changing. I think the other thing for, for me, Neve, is like that sort of personal experience I had. Like I'm sort of reasonably tech savvy, but I'm not brilliant at it. And you know, I sort of felt that the guys I was dealing with on the on the supply side, you know, the medics and all, were maybe even not as high up the curve as I was. So it was a struggle, you know. So I think we all have to be honest with ourselves that we need to invest, you know, both the people who are providing healthcare and the population who are receiving it. We need to upskill ourselves if we're going to make this work. And I think look that came out of the out of the report pretty well. Yeah, yeah, very much so. That was a that was a, a kind of key finding, I think. I mean, just going back to who, who needs to learn how to use it. I mean, I think it depends on exactly what technology we're using and and also sort of our day-to-day expectations of technology have fundamentally changed, right, over the last um, 10, 15 years even. Um, most people um, of sort of working age will have a smartphone in their pocket. And quite frankly, we expect to be able to do our shopping on there. We expect to be able to do our banking on our phone. Um, and we expect to be able to video call our family on, on our phone. So I think when it comes to sort of, vir- let's call it virtual GP appointments, I don't think that most patients don't need upskilling in that regard um, uh, uh, because they're already used to that technology. I think there is a sort of an inbuilt resistance. I think as David was sort of expressing, I think um, the, the sort of healthcare system and I'm sure um, this applies across the whole NHS, including Northern Ireland. Um, the the doctors um, there are one; they're used to very um, quite old legacy existing hardware in hospitals. And what I mean by that is, for an example, uh, uh, until very recently, the NHS was still using uh, Windows Millennium as an operating system on desktop soft, um, computers. Until really quite really quite recently, it was only three or four years ago when they sort of got rid of um, that operating system. Uh, my wife, for example, is, a, is an orthopedic surgeon and it can take her up to 15 minutes to sort of boot up the PC at the beginning of her clinic and open the three separate systems she needs for x-rays, you know, blood tests and the patient's notes, right? So there's kind of like, um, I think there's a lot of skepticism 
um, in the in the doctor and nurse and other healthcare professional community about is this technology really going to improve my life or is it just going to make um, you know uh, the, the sort of younger and by definition less health uh, sort of more healthy uh, part of the population happier and, and and service the convenience rather than the sort of the quality side of um, what they want as sort of healthcare consumers, if you will. So um, it, it is a it's a delicate balance, and our and our report has highlighted um, exactly what David has articulated: funding. So investment is clearly a, a big part of what we what we recommend for the future. Um, skills. So absolutely upskilling um, both patients and doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals to get the most out of um, the technology that is available to them. Um, we, we make a comment on, on the overall culture uh, of healthcare as well. We do need to see uh, a, a cultural shift to embrace not only current technology, but that kind of innovation culture to look for further opportunities to use technology to improve care. Um, and then our final, our final observation, which is perhaps a little bit more controversial because it is difficult sometimes to um, talk about this um, because there have been some pretty um, bad examples but we talk about partnerships so we don't believe that the NHS can do this on their own as we've seen with the vaccine that's been developed you don't expect the National Health Service to develop all of its own drugs why would you expect it necessarily to own its own technology solutions so we're, we are um, increasingly going to see we think collaborations not only between um, healthcare organizations um, in the UK, but also um, we'd be uh, we'd expect to see private companies coming in to support, you know, big data companies, um, technology providers, etc. Yeah, just touching on that as well. Even look with the the upskilling point. I, I obviously don't know because I didn't do medicine or nursing or anything in university. But is it a case? Do you think that even going back that that far in education, that whenever you know student nurses and student doctors are training, does there need to be more of a focus on attack awareness or attack upskilling there do you think absolutely i think i think to curriculum um curricula need to change to adapt to the new the new normal so um a doctor will spend between five and six years at medical school and then um probably five or six years more postgraduate training minimum to become a gp for example and as much as 10 or 12 perhaps even longer years post post medical school becoming a consultant um in a in a surgical specialty for example um it's really important we build this in um medical school curricula don't change very often um you know it is different i mean if you if you talk to a company that that um, sells a product um telesales is a is a is a similar but slightly different skill set to um face-to-face -face sales right so you would train your um telesales workforce differently or slightly differently to your sort of face-to-face -face, um sales force and so why wouldn't we expect that the same for for medicine and I think we definitely need not only to adapt curricula, but also I think there's, and I think a lot of people are already thinking about this. What, what are the, are there new jobs that don't exist currently that we will see more and more of in the future? So the one that most people will mention first would be data scientists, right? Could we have clinical data scientists? That's not a job title that I'm aware is certainly, it certainly doesn't exist in most hospitals, but might that be a job like you have a, a working alongside the nurses and the doctors and the physiotherapists, might you have people whose specialty is healthcare data and be part of the clinical team? And that, that'd be an entirely new role with a new skill set that would go alongside what we, what we regard as traditional healthcare workers. 
And look, the thing the thing for me on that, Luke, just building on that point is it's not that you and I and PwC or people like us are sitting like preaching to the medical profession about how, how they you know need the upskill. We're doing it ourselves. We're to use a medical pun, we're taking our own medicine, you know, and we're investing hugely ourselves in the, the, the initiative Neve is called New World New Skills. And we've put proper money into that globally, and we're we're pushing forward with we, we call them things like digital accelerators and digital champions and digital workshops, and it's all because we know our world has changed, and in order for us to function in a sort of modern professional services environment, like our people and the young people coming through and the training that they get when they join PwC, it has a very heavy digital component to it. So we just we all have to do this, you know. It's not it's 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 like a very symmetrical thing, and we all have to work together on it as well. Because no one organization or type of organization can can do this on their own. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, touching that sort of new world, new skills, we've definitely seen a massive, and I know you sort of said this at the beginning, Luke, an increase in AI, artificial intelligence being used within loads of different um, sectors of medicine. But do you think? you know, for people that aren't medically minded or scientifically minded, I think a lot of people think to be in the healthcare profession, you know, you need to do biology or you need to want to go into medicine or or nursing and sort of what you were saying there, like, you know, there could be careers that pop up that, you know, data scientists, but within the healthcare sector, you know, would you agree in saying that we're going to need a lot more people? There's sort of a skill shortage within the tech sector in Northern Ireland as it is. We're going to need a sort of wider broad range of skill sets and people within the healthcare sector to improve that technological advance, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Uh, but I think it's sort of almost the staffing issue. I mean, I, the, the, when I think about, um, and this, is, this applies equally to Northern Ireland or, or any developed economy, I guess what, there is a global supply problem of care workers. Right, so we don't have enough nurses and doctors, right? And no, no major economy with a, with a with a well-developed health system has as, as many as they need. In fact, Japan's a, a really interesting example that you know they they have such a long that they live for such a long time. They have very long life expectancy in Japan. Um, the the lack of um, it, it doesn't matter how many more nurses or doctors you add, you almost always can't catch up with the demand almost. So we have a workforce that's stretched and is unable to meet current demand. So we have two, two issues here around workforce. One is um, in order to try and create a little bit more capacity within the people who are delivering the care now, we need to embrace technology. Right. We need to be able to um, create a little bit of leverage for those uh, healthcare workers by reducing perhaps some of the admin burden, perhaps by pre-screening or filtering patient demands to try and make sure that our doctors, nurses and other healthcare professionals um, can prioritise and see the patients who really need their help. That said, you can't digitise care, right? You, you know, a computer can't hold your hand, it can't deliver bad news in a compassionate way. It can't, you know, wash and care for you while you lie in bed, right? So there will always be a requirement for human beings delivering the care, but hopefully by giving them the technology tools to support them, we can make that, that capacity go a little further. And then in addition to that, Absolutely. In order to support the technology that's going to be helping augment the 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 um, 
the care that's being delivered, we will need, uh, I'm sure, a large number of people with a skill set that may not necessarily exist uh, in enough numbers, um, either within the NHS more broadly or, or, or within the Northern Irish uh, economy. Yeah, no, 100%. Touching on a sort of different aspect of the report that you would like, um, and David, feel free to jump in this as well. You know, 20% of respondents reported that they live in an area with unreliable phone signal or, you know, Wi-Fi connection. And within Northern Ireland, that's quite, it's quite a stark contrast with the rest of the UK, um, whose average is 8%. Obviously, we have a lot of uh, rural areas here, a lot of rural connectivity issues. What do you think in terms of infrastructure, you know, for, for telecoms and, and internet and things like that, you know, how can that change? What's the, what's the ideal position that we would hope to see ourselves in 10 years time? You know, what can be done, do you think, to solve that? That's a very another very good question. Um, so the first thing I think is it, what's really interesting about what we found is in terms of people who have a virtual consultation with their um, their doctor or nurse or other healthcare professional, um, they're actually using they're defaulting to, to to voice, not video. Right. So more people have you know we, we did a bit of research recently that in the during the pandemic in in England, if you look at video calling as opposed to voice calling. The percentage of consultations that are done over video as opposed to voice has actually decreased slightly. This is across the whole of the uh, 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 of the of the NHS. Um, that there's many more going on than there were, but they just as a percentage of the virtual interactions, video has decreased in in um, in use. So that may be that may reflect the fact that either people feel self-conscious. I mean, I certainly spend a lot of time, um, and, and I, David and I both do on video conferences, and just sometimes it can be easier um, to, to do it as, a, as a, an old fashioned phone call. So that, but that might also be driven by the connectivity problems. I mean, the first thing I do if the signal's not good or the, or the, 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 the Wi-Fi is failing is I turn off my camera to see if I can improve the, the verbal, you know, the, the spoken connection. I think to solve the problem that you describe, I mean, I mean 5G is gonna be a big part of the solution, right? So, I mean, you, we can argue, I, I don't claim to be an expert, and I would certainly defer to David in terms of infrastructure and making sure fiber optic broadband is, is um, it reaches uh, as much of the population as possible. I mean, I, I mean, I can't really comment on that. I mean, I live in London, right? Uh, so um, as with, you know, this is controversial, I suppose, but as with most things, London tends to get stuff first. So I, I expect our connectivity is, is amongst the, the better end of the spectrum. But I think 5G deployment will be very important because that will make, you know, um, wireless connectivity um, uh, exponentially faster and stronger. Um, but equally, I'm sure we'll need more fiber optic cable laid in the ground. And, and, and I, uh, from an infrastructure perspective, I would, I would defer to David on that. I mean, I'm, I'm not like, you know, an expert in 5G or anything like that. But what, what I do see is that the so what of this report is that, you know, the NHS needs sustained investment uh, over a, a sort of long term period to provide the foundation for a technologically enabled system. We just there's no there's no way out of it if we don't have the infrastructure and the kit in place. And I'm reminded just of what you said about your your partner there, like you know, taking 10 minutes to fire up our laptop, you know, we just need to fix that because this the aspiration and the, the sort of benefits of this sort of tech enabled healthcare, it's not going to happen if we don't have the kit. I think the other thing is like we do, Neve, as you said, like we're, we're more of a rural 
uh, sort of community here. Mm -hmm. And so there probably are more issues of that nature. We also have, I think, you know, more like a, a more sort of people who are, you know, sort of marginalized or sort of income levels would be a bit lower than average, than average compared to the UK. We've got a, a big sort of older elderly population. And all. Um, we just need to watch with all of this that there's balance in it. Because I mean, I'm thinking of my 80 year old mother-in-law, like she's not gonna go for a, you know, a Zoom call to talk about her, you know, she's just not doing it, you know, and we, we need to make sure that whatever way we configure a new operating model, that it still has space for physical consultations and we don't let, you know, some groups of the population like that get left behind. Yeah, I know the health service here in Northern Ireland is sort of the laid out plans for their digital transformation process. Uh, you know, they've started digitizing. I think they have partnered with a private company to digitize their their data and their records and things like that. But, you know, again, sort of sort of a naive question, but in an ideal world, you know, where do you see the, the health service here being in the next five or 10 years, you know, by 2030, do you think that it will or could be? fully digitized and, and fully perfect or do you think it's going to take a bit longer? I mean, there, there, there's nothing to stop it. Like there's no reason why a wee place like Northern Ireland can't be leading edge on all of this. But I think for me, it comes back to people working together. You know, the politicians, the civil servants, the business community, civil society organisations, we need to sort of get with the programme now, you know, this sort of new vision for healthcare provision and sort of shake off some of the sort of traditional ways of doing things. And I think if we can all get on the same page on that vision and commit to working together, which, you know, I have to say, like sometimes we're better at in Northern Ireland than others, you know, uh, then there's no reason why we can't be leading edge. And actually one of the benefits of living in Northern Ireland, which is why I've sort of stayed here and not moved to London, is that it's, is that it's small and sort of everybody knows every, everybody else. And the idea, you know, if you're all aligned on strategy, there is a good chance of getting things done because you're sort of in, you're more likely to be in direct contact with some of the key stakeholder groups that you need. So, so I would say yes, I hope so to that question, Neve. That's it for this week's episode of Tech Crack. For all things tech and business in Northern Ireland, visit syncni.com. Have a good week.